0: welcome to episode one of late night linux recorded on the 9th of january 2017 i'm joe and with me are jesse hi there ike how are you and Phelim. how's it going yeah not too bad so here we are a new year and a new show um you may recognize my voice from linux luddites and also jesse but uh, who are these new people then so uh, i suppose start with you Phelim. who are you
1: I'm Phelan Wiley, and I run my own IT business for Linux and open source consulting. And you are a dreaded KDE user, I understand. I am indeed. Tough. KDE Neon. Better believe
2: it. If at least we get that sort of side of it this time, you know, there was always a lot of uh, GTK love on Luddites, so we can just uh, bash on Phelan now. Yeah, pretty much.
0: I am your piñata. Okay, well, speaking of GTK... Everyone should know who Iki is from Solus, but if not, tell us a little bit about it, Ike.
3: Uh I'm Iki Dardy, founder of the distro that shall not be named in future results. <laughs> uh, Solus is a Linux distribution built from scratch, i.e. not based on another Distro, has the body desktop built on GTK, and I'll try and keep mentions of it down to a minimum, as much as it's going to pain me.
0: Well, I don't know, maybe we can have a sort of five-minute uh, update every couple of episodes or something so you can tell us what's been going on with it.
2: Yeah, we can let you vent cuz otherwise it will just build up. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, so I I use Ubuntu. Uh, I think I'm actually using 14.04 on the machine that I'm talking to you talking to you on now. Um and Jesse you're using Arch with Gnome.
2: Yep, yep, rocking the GN- Gnome 3 and on Arch still I almost forgot what I was using then. It's just so easy and so simple. <laughs> until you update it that is never update before a podcast that's the rule
0: yeah fair enough okay well uh, let's crack straight on with a few fairly quick news stories and the first one is that according to one major metric Linux is now at three percent market share on the desktop
2: yeah so you're referring to the uh, the benchmark that is Pornhub and (laughs) I know we discussed this uh, last year uh, on a previous show,
0: yeah, and I hadn't heard of the website then either. So, uh.
2: <laughs> uh, so I mean, what's interesting about this is the fact that while it does say that Linux is at three uh, percent and Android's at something like fifty uh, percent, they split it into operating system from the desktop and operating system for the mobile. Is the fact that Linux gone up fourteen percent, which is pretty major rise, if you excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs>
1: It's all those disgruntled porn-surfing MacBook Pro
0: owners. (laughs) They haven't got enough RAM for it. Oh, let's (laughs) not go there, eh? Well, it's pretty good, though, isn't it? I mean, it it seems as good a metric as any other Pornhub. I mean, I would have thought that it's kind of a fairly even cross-section of computer users who are going to it.
2: Well, I would say it's probably like to be more men.
0: You would have thought so. But yeah, maybe.
2: But I am going to just have to uh, say this, and I was trying not to be pedantic, uh, but I'm going to be, because their numbers show the ups and downs, and it's up 1% for Windows, up 8% for Mac, up 14% for Linux, and then down 28% for other. And anyone who's doing the maths in their head, those don't add up to zero. So I think their numbers are a bit skew if. Well, I'm taking
0: it as a win anyway for (laughs) Linux. But I wonder how much of it's Chrome OS as well, because they didn't specify that. And you would have thought that Chrome OS would be quite a major factor, wouldn't you, um, in Linux on the desktop. And that kind of skews all of these um, percentages. Like you hear, it's not just Pornhub, you hear across the board, really, by any measurement, Linux on the desktop seems to be doing quite well. But I I wonder if they're counting Chrome OS, and they never seem to say about that.
2: Yeah, I don't know how it gets recognized particularly. What I'm actually thinking is, I know we maybe shouldn't uh, open up floodgates so early, but how does Solus get recognized if it's hitting a server somewhere?
3: That's the thing. um, With Solus, you kind of wouldn't be able to tell. There was a time when all of the distros were basically modifying their Firefox package or whichever, And then you'd set a user agent on them. But the fact is, a lot of people now are using Google Chrome, so you can't really tell the operating system, you know, it's compiled by Google, not modified by anyone else. And we stopped modifying user agents a long time ago because that started breaking websites to the point where they'll accept an Ubuntu-modified string on some of them. But most of them are now gone. So unique Linux distro user agents are kind of a thing of the past. So it's kind of
0: interesting... I would imagine the Chrome OS would have a specialist string, though. But they don't mention it at all, do they? They mention Windows, macOS, Linux, and other. So is it in that 3% other, maybe? Well, you could say that all Linux users stand together. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you've got all proprietary stuff on top of the kernel. Okay, well, uh, let's move on and talk about GNU Libreboot, or as it is now, just Libreboot. We talked last year about this on Luddites, about how... There'd been a bit of a spat between the FSF and the lead developer of Libreboot, Libreboot being the kind of totally free software BIOS replacement. And the developer wanted to leave the GNU project. And now Stallman has come out with an email and said, well, even though it's up to us, the GNU project, we're actually going to allow you to go off and do your own thing. So that's, um, I suppose, drawn a line under it at least. Yeah, I think
1: it's fairly big of them because it could have got nasty. And to be honest, I don't think they had the the sort of right place there because I think it was signed over, was it not?
2: Or well, Lee Lee or Leah Rowe, the originator from of Libre Boot, which is I think it's a fork of Coreboot, isn't it? It is, yeah. yeah. And so she had affiliated it with GNU, and then you know she started it, she affiliated it, and then wanted to take it out from the GNU affiliation uh, for various. Um, internal political reasons with the FSF and their association with GNU. And GNU said, well, no, you're with us now, so we get to choose how it works. And I do sort of wonder whether it obviously didn't cross her mind at the start when she decided to make that affiliation, but didn't realise in you know what she was sort of uh, giving over to GNU and the the powers and the lack of freedom, ironically, that she'd sort of given to them, and whether they were actually in the right to say, no, it's ours now, even though you're the maintainer, you're the one who you know originated it. it yeah, it's a bit it's a bit murky. I'm not sure I'd say that uh, RMS was was being big about it, but I, I think it's right to just draw the line.
1: Yeah, I guess it could have been annoying as usual, but wasn't
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's talk about KDE for a while then. A few KDE stories here. The first one is um systemd genie, which is a graphical tool for managing systemd and uh, the user units. I'm afraid I am struggling to care about this. I've got to say, so am I. I think it's a great idea.
1: Um, I'll probably use it. It didn't actually show up yet. There is the control panel KCM. That does work. Seems to be fine. But on a desktop, do I care? Not really. Uh, I think on a server is where it's kind of getting scary with SystemD, where you may or may not want to do something that it's going to decide on its own to do. But uh, I think it's a good start. I mean... To be honest, I haven't actually touched it that much. I've avoided it like the plague and stuck to my in it D scripts. But I'm gonna have to bite the bullet eventually.
0: But why would you need a graphical tool for System D? Like as you say, it's more for servers and stuff. In theory, on a desktop, you should never be having to mess with System D.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's nice to make these things visible. It'd be great to be able to say to somebody, you know, Here, here's a, a straightforward stop and start of your daemon system rather than write you need to open up your terminal in here, do this, do that. You you want to try and capture as many people that aren't necessarily afraid of command line, but just prefer to use things in a GUI. It's like people who use Vi and Emacs. I don't use them. I could, but I prefer to use a graphical one because that's where I am. I don't see the point in having a graphical environment and then open up a text editor in a shell prompt. I mean, it just seems a bit daft. So maybe it's to try and make it easier for people who are more used to that.
2: I think it's where you have a lot of hidden information that unless you know the right commands and the right controls to be using, you can't necessarily dig in and, and find what's going on. I mean, let's take, for example, like CPU usage. I, I tried to look at the pie I've got running in my, in my server cupboard, what the CPUs are, are doing for one particular setup. And, you know, I was using top, but it doesn't really tell you each CPU and what's going on. Whereas if you had like a nice little graph or a H htop H <laughs> top. Yeah. Okay. That's the other option. Uh, but yeah, like if it's just more nicely presented, pardon me, better presented, they it makes it, you know, more approachable. And whereas System D is like a load of hidden stuff that you can't quite get into, and even Phelim's kind of, you know, skirting around it, it's if it was in a a graphical user interface like this, is this systemd genie is sort of a bit of a bolstered version of the the KCM that you mentioned, it just means that you can you can click on the options and you can see what's going on and maybe have a bit more uh understanding or a bit more belief in your control over what's going on at the very the very bottom end
0: okay well uh Jonathan Riddle's been pretty busy he's been posting quite a few blog posts and uh been working quite a lot on KDE Neon recently and um the first one is the LTS user edition so there's the user and the developer editions of KDE Neon I presume Phelan you're using the user one are you
1: Yeah, because I use it for work. And uh, (laughs) if it's not working, then I'm not working and I'm not making money. So yeah, Yeah. stick to the, well, (laughs) it's a bit hard on on a slightly developerist sort of uh, distro that I'm sort of risking that much. So I'm happy to say that's my level of risk that I'm willing to accept. I won't be doing it in arch.
0: (laughs) Fair enough. So what about this LTS edition then? Presumably that appeals to you. It's kind of the best of both worlds.
1: Yeah, it would have. Ironically, I can't use it, though, because, well, okay, I could with a bit of hacking, but because it's only 64-bit, or at least it seems to be based on the repos I was picking, you can't uh, have 32-bit packages. And because I had to use Skype for some clients, it pulled in a whole lot of 32-bit stuff, and then there's a sort of horrible mess of not working. So I decided I'll just stick to the user edition and not LTS. So there you go. If I'm on the dole in about a month, you'll know why. (laughs) Fair enough.
2: I sort of feel this. It looks like a distraction, and like dilutes the water of what they're trying to do.
1: No, because I think I think people are getting the wrong idea about it, though. I see it's while it's meant to be able to show you, you know, latest developer, it is really meant to be for people who like KDE to get the latest desktop, but it not break horribly all the time. The developer editions would be for really pushing hard on things. But the user edition has always kind of been, here's a stable distro, fresh KDE, not like raw KDE and give you the best thing. And because Plasma 5.9 is coming out, that's going to be integrating a lot of Wayland stuff and a lot of new later features that it was a good point to say, right, we need a stable release that we can keep for several years and not break any of the stuff backwards like we did with kd 4. So there was a lot of breakages there. So I think they've learned quite a lot from that whole problem. So all the new stuff are going to go into 5.9. And to be honest, though, it's going to be hard not to go into it because as you watch all the blog posts go past all the fancy, shiny stuff, you're going to be sitting there
0: going, hmm, maybe I could risk it. <laughs> and this um, Riddle Today posted... Um that there's a Wayland ISO that he's built that he's only tested in um, virtualized environments at the moment he hasn't tested bare metal but um Wayland by default on KDE neon it, it seems to be coming down the pipeline
1: yeah at least on the developer unstable edition so that's no, quite cool you can think of developer unstable as testing the the latest graphics stuff developer stable for doing the application work and then us other people out on the uh, user
0: edition but surely you'd be using the docker image that he also plugged about recently.
1: Yeah, I really don't understand that at all. <laughs> I don't know why you'd want to do that, but yeah, I should look into it.
2: <laughs> I guess this is for absolute testing. You know, if if you're providing packages for KDE Neon rather than using KDE Neon, you you could be doing both, I guess. Uh then Good. you could at least you could at least flash this up and look at them in a very isolated container rather than having to have all the other stuff that you might have on your day-to-day distro or have you. But it's funny because I was reading a thing the other day about uh, Docker being, you know, how it's... Well, in this blog post, he says how you can get a a small Docker image. And it just suddenly reminded me of this other website I've been looking at that said about how big Docker images are and how Alpine Linux was supposed to be a lot smaller. And now there's there's another version... Uh, called like mini Debian, I think it is. And it's supposed to be sort of a, a super streamlined um, container image that that gets you just the bare bare minimum. So potentially something to look out for if you're using Docker, or my view. Can I ask the million dollar question here?
3: So when KDE Neon started, and now heading into controversial waters here, when KDE Neon started, I got the distinct impression it was the easiest way to test the new KDE Um, That seemed to be kind of the purpose of the project. Now, I'm on the KDE Neon website, and ignoring the buzzwords that we have on all of the distro websites, like Sonic Core, latest features, that's kind of expected. Apart from KDE on Ubuntu, what is the aim in terms of users? What is the aim to do for users that other distributions
1: don't? I think the problem is a lot of the six-month lag time that a lot of distros had at best with, like, say, even Kubuntu. Um, you could always install a PPA, but you were kind of – that was a backport and stuff like that, so you're always kind of, sort of slightly living out of support, whereas this is, you know, we expect you to run with the latest KD, and here it is. Right, but that's desktop shell. In terms of the user stuff –
3: what does it do? What do you mean? <laughs> so any distro can decide to update the desktop that they ship. An example is Ubuntu. If they want to put a new Unity in, they can put a new Unity in. If elementary OS wants to put a new version of Pantheon out in their latest release, they can. So a distro is based on KDE. If they want to update the, the shell to the latest version of that desktop shell, they can. W- apart from having the latest KDE, I mean, what, what does it offer the user? What is, you know, the, the goal here?
2: Well, going back to what you were saying when it first came out, one of the things that I remember them saying is that it would have a, a very minimal set of packages uh, and pre-installed, or well, not packages, but pre-installed uh, user applications. And it would be, you know, the, uh, the benchmark by which you can show off KDE. That was it. It was like a show-off version of KDE. And this is why I'm getting confused as to the reason they've got an LTS version, because it sort of implies that things aren't going to change or get updated in that. And so you're not actually showing off the latest. And if you are, then it's not so much of an LTS. And it seems to be sort of like, I say, distracting them from what their original goal was.
1: Yeah, I, th- I can see what you mean. Um, but I think they're kind of looking at the fact that there's almost like four tiers. Two of them are for developers and two of them are for users. And for users who really, really don't want anything to change, stick to the LTS. But if you want to just follow along with the standard level of newness, stick to the standard user edition.
2: So do you think KD Neon is basically a direct replacement for Kubuntu and like, users from Kubuntu have basically moved over?
1: I, I, I've often worried about, wondered about it. I'm, I mean, you see Kubuntu still exists. Um, you can see updates for it and people still developing away, but I'm not sure. I, re- I really don't know. I mean, I certainly moved because... I didn't think Kubuntu was going to stay alive, to be honest. And I always used to be in this position where I'd put on the PPAs anyway. So for me, Neon was bang on exactly what I was looking for. I wanted the kernel, all that sort of level of stuff to stay the same. But, you know, I just want the latest version of, you
0: know, whatever the packages were.
2: Yeah, because it might fix the problems with KDE.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the jibes. (laughs) To be fair, when I looked at KDE Neon, I was very impressed with it. It, it did seem to be uh, the kind of best KDE implementation that I had seen in a long time. And Plasma 5 does seem to be a lot better than 4 ever was. So uh, it, it's one of those cases where more development seems to make it better, whereas with other things, it, that can kind of be the opposite. But um, I, I don't know, KDE is just not really for me. So I'm just going to have to take your word for this one, one I think, failing because you know you're you're the cute man or is it cutie Aye. what do we decide <laughs> it's cutie <laughs> See, i
2: i i suspect they've got a case of wanted to just sort of have a showcase of what the best of kde can be but now have realized that it's po- quite popular and they're sort of going well, let's just make a full blown desktop of it and you know get on distro watch and and all that sort of stuff it seems to have maybe rolled too far for them to to just have the the sort of new and shiny like they wanted to show off Um, And uh, just for the record, I do have Chaos on my uh, laptop, which is my favorite version of uh, KDE.
0: (laughs) So uh, let's move on. And um, before we get to the predictions, let's talk about the story that ruined one of my predictions. And this is that officially there's going to be no new Ubuntu phones um, for the foreseeable future and not even any OTA updates for the existing ones. They are still going to do security updates, but that's it and they've kind of parked the project while they move over to snap and concentrate on um, unity 8 for the desktop. I don't think I was particularly surprised as I say I was going to predict that we wouldn't see any new ubuntu phones this year but now that would be a bit um, easy to do. So were were any of you surprised by this?
3: I was disappointed actually. I'd taken a long time to come around to the idea of the ubuntu phone and a lot like of over over people In my head, it was like, oh, they're only concentrating on the phone. You know, the desktop is dead. This typical kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. That did seem to be the perception, wasn't it? That they basically parked the desktop, whereas now they've flipped totally the other way. Yeah, and thats
3: I'm kind of concerned whether that's a reaction to that general feeling. Because honestly, I've been following a few of the mobile uh, OS projects over the last few years. I mean, Tizen personally didn't do it for me. And I'm running Android 4.4 point something on my phone. I'm never getting another update for that, and I'm starting to join a lot of Linux users and thinking if you get like a an off the shelf android phone you're you're kind of screwed, really. you know you're not going to get any new updates, your phone is going to become insecure in a very short amount of time, so I'd only just convince myself that this year one of the things I would do is put <laughs> put the uh the Ubuntu os on that phone and
2: now it's going away <laughs> <laughs> just at the wrong time, but i mean I- if we just go through why this is uh, being parked. So installing apps on the Ubuntu phone uses these click packages. And as far as I can see, Ubuntu thought that was a great idea. So why don't you have that on the desktop as well? And they made them into these snaps. But snaps are slightly different to clicks. And to get this converge plan of having things installed on both, you need to make the phone run on snaps rather than clicks. But the... Uh, the way that snaps work uses some very modern kernel features. I'll gloss over all the detail because that's just how I'll gloss over it. And uh, <laughs> and uh, the problem is, is then that what they've built Ubuntu on top of, the Android version, doesn't have all these newer kernel features that is required to install the snaps. So if you want a phone that has not clicks, but snaps to be on the App Store and, and oh, sorry, the Ubuntu Store, uh, and then to be installed, you need to update not just, you know, the Ubuntu top part, the, you know, the 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 high level, but the very core of what you're running on top of. And that can't be just an OTA. That's, a, you know, that's a real, a much bigger uh, update to be done. So it's they've sort of shot themselves in the foot by having these snaps and then realizing that you can't put an OTA out, which allows you to use them on the phone. And so you've got to kind of, I think they are just taking some time to really think, oh, crap, how are we going to do this kind of thing?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, Ike mentioned there, that ancient version of Android on your um, piece of shit, phone, whatever that is. Um, you're not going to get any updates for that. And that's the the heart of this problem, isn't it? That if you base your operating system on the Android kernel, then you need Android updates in order to have new features. And if you've got the Nexus 4, for example, is one of the, the first phones they... Um, developed Ubuntu Touch-On, and that is still available now. You can still get the images for it. And the Nexus 7, I mean, Jesse and I have played with that quite a lot, um, even up to the end of last year. But if the kernel that that that's running is an old Android one, then you're just knackered, aren't you? You can't can't do this new stuff that they want to do. So uh, the only solution, surely, is to base it on newer Android devices that have got newer kernels that can support these features. So they need to put a a new device out but they don't seem to have the um, the power, I suppose, to get the OEMs on board to do that. And so they're just kind of uh, a bit snookered, aren't they?
2: Well, maybe they're also kind of thinking about all those people that have bought devices and, you know, they've promised that they'll be kept up to date with those devices and suddenly there's this impasse that they can't do what they've promised they would do.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, it's it's a problem that most Android OEMs run into and most users of android phones have run into not getting any updates and yeah as you say that's one thing that we've always praised it for i mean we've always dissed it haven't we for being well we don't like scopes we don't like lack of apps we don't think that it's very um far along in terms of development certainly compared to android but the one saving grace for it was always the updates and these otas which we're just not going to get anymore which is a real shame i mean maybe they'll pick it up and run with it again but I've I've certainly heard people saying that they'd probably pull out of the phone market this year, 2017. So um, it, I, it's not the kind of thing that you announced. I, th- I think they were talking about that on bad voltage. Whereas you, you don't actually pull out, do you? You just stop putting anything out. You stop putting new devices out and then you quietly go away. And that might be what happens.
3: There's a few ways of looking at this. I mean, We all know that the mobile market is completely saturated. It's damn near impenetrable. But I mean, the the good side for this in terms of the desktop and for people who are worried that all the attention was going into this. Essentially, you could look at the Ubuntu phone as the proof of concept for the technologies that are now landed in Ubuntu. Now, whether you use them or agree with them or whatever, they they have developed and refined them. So you now have these snaps, which are becoming mainstream. So you could look at the phone as the prototype or the, you know, the proof of concept and what they're doing on the desktop now is going full swing there. So people have complained about the state of Unity eight over the last few years. I do think you're now going to see like a real push for that. And should they ever decide later on that they're in the mobile market, then they'll be rebasing on something that's a lot more solid, which is the, the second stage of the evolution of what they started with the phone. So there is a chance to come back on a more solid product. Even if the phone disappears completely, the desktop that they make will be a lot more solid and snaps will benefit from it. So there is still a positive upspin from this, I think.
0: And once snaps are absolutely universal on every single distro that it's possible to install, is uh, then, then we'll be fine, yeah? Yeah, I
3: mean, then one of the hardest things for anyone who's new to the market, uh, if you bring any new device, if it's a set-top box or a phone, it doesn't matter, the thing that almost always gets you killed is a dead app store. And, you you know, you've had all the efforts. You've had Firefox OS and things. The thing that really gets them killed is a complete lack of content. So all this focus now gone into desktops, making Snaps Universal, Uh, you know, like they've got their own QML libraries for making these responsive apps. If they do look at the phone again in the future, they've already got an app store they're ready to use across all of their platforms. they got the convergence in place by then.
2: Yeah, but you've got, all the apps in place, as you're saying. And yes, they're in the app store. And I guess if the phone is running exactly the same as the desktop, then you could install them. But unless you have a way of making that app look good on the phone, you're not even starting on a good uh, base, really, are you? I mean you can't have a full-screen desktop app running on your phone. And if you don't have a phone that people need to design for, then no one's going to try and make a phone-type interface that's better for touch and thumbs and things because there's no phone there yet. And so when they bring out a phone, you might well have all these applications that are really useful. And it would be great to have a fully populated app store, but no one will have put any effort into designing them for the phone. So you're actually going to annoy people by having, you know, LibreOffice, that seems like a useful app to have. Oh, it's a thumping great, you know, uh, file, edit, all those little things that you can't use your fingers for.
3: Uh, so to be clear, I don't mean
2: LibreOffice.
3: Um, <laughs> I don't think I should ever go on it. And I cringe every time I see a tech demo, there's a new tablet or a new phone. It's like, hey, we got LibreOffice working on this.
0: Why? <laughs> Why would you do that? Well, on a bigger tablet where you've got a keyboard and mouse, it makes sense. In if it's got one mode where you can plug in the keyboard and mouse or wirelessly or whatever, but yeah, if it's any sort of seven inches or smaller device, it makes no sense at all to have
2: LibreOffice. That's not the point I'm making. What I'm saying is that you should be able to install LibreOffice on your phone, and it should pop up as a sim- much simpler um, sort of Google Doc, um, yeah, Google Docs type. Uh, interface Mm. where you can use it on a mobile device it's been designed for it it's got like you know three or four buttons for edit and a little simple pull down or maybe rather than a full desktop interface obviously I mean let's ignore um docs and what have you think about like a video player you know on a full desktop you can have all sorts of options and functions and widgets and clever things that you can use a mouse for but actually when it comes to a phone you just want a play and a fast forward perhaps and on a tablet you'd have Play, fast forward, record, or that sort of thing. So you'd, it would it would scale with the device, and no one will have written it to be scaled down to a small device if those small devices don't have Ubuntu on them as as a target. But isn't that a
0: secondary, a small problem? That once the the phone comes out, the applications will be there, and it's just a case of adding that stuff to them. So for a while, Ubuntu has been
3: working on their, as you know, they've been working on their convergence, and they've got their own set of libraries that are basically built on top of Qt. Um, these allow them to have their own scalable applications, desktop tablets, anything like this. So it's basically, you, you. nowadays you probably just call them Unity applications. It was originally Ubuntu Touch applications, but that's all merged up together. So all of the Ubuntu and Unity specific apps that you see now would run on those phones, such as the terminal emulator you see for Ubuntu or the web browser. Those things already are capable of running on the phones if they were to make a comeback.
2: Yeah, but someone has taken the time to consider what functions you want on a smaller device. They don't just magically work perfectly on a phone.
0: True. (laughs) Well, we'll see, won't we? I mean, this might be an academic conversation anyway if they do genuinely pull out permanently. But I hope you're right, Aiki, that they are at least planning it long term and and I hope that it's true what they've said that they are going to it's not dead, it's just parked sort of thing because we do need an alternative to Android and iOS and it doesn't look like any of the others are really going to happen. And lack of apps has always been the problem, so maybe Snaps will be the answer. Um, but uh, it's funny that you were talking enthusiastically about Snaps. I mean, I don't want to drag it up too much, but you, you've you famously been pretty anti-Snaps, haven't you? Yeah. Um uh...
3: It's a case of right tool for the job. And there are places where snaps are incredibly useful. And and I've said at length before, so I won't go into a big analysis of them. Uh, I mean, the, the primary thing about snaps is solving problems from the originating distributions. TLDR is very hard to make a debt package and maintain it. It's yeah. not a simple bit of work. Um, when I designed the operating system, they won't be named. <laughs> Mate? i designed it so that packaging and maintenance would all be very 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 simple with the view of a centralized store as opposed to random bits now the way that snaps go about it is that anyone can distribute it okay that's fair enough putting it into the hands of developers yeah i deal with their issues on a daily basis and you know, it it doesn't solve the problems I have currently. If it becomes a case of, you know, like VHS versus Betamax and I'm the Betamax, then hell yeah, I'll adopt VHS.
0: <laughs> wow. I thought you were pretty adamant about it, but okay, you heard it
3: here first. Just from a business perspective, you know, like I have no interest in my projects becoming irrelevant or dying. So mm. if there is a business interest in adopting them, then yeah, I'll take them on.
2: Can we just take a, a five-minute break so I can change my predictions? Because this is... <laughs> it's changed everything.
0: No no breaks. So let's move on into the predictions then. Uh, who's going to go first? Uh, we haven't heard from Phelium in a while. You can go. What's your first prediction, Phelium? Right.
1: Mine are poor, and I apologize. I now have very, very impressed by everybody who can come up predictions for a show because this was a disaster. I think that's the only word I could use for it. So Canonical are going to get bought by Microsoft reason being they're slowly starting to drift towards kind of corporate desktop and server only and Shuttleworth's sort of, you can always tell his dream is desktop convergence, buzzwords and if that's not going to happen, then somebody's going to have to buy them.
0: I really, really hope you're wrong and it's not Microsoft who buys them.
1: Uh, So do I. I mean, I've been hedging my bets by installing Debian servers more. Ubuntu server is great. I love it. I think it's really good reliable six-month releases of a server OS where you know you can plan for a project, go out and then install the project then is fantastic. And I would really hate for it to disappear. Well, okay, it wouldn't disappear, but it would as, as good as... It'd be dead to you. Oh, it would. I mean, totally. And I mean, I'm not just Microsoft bashing, but I really... I don't know. People are far too easy on them these days with, oh, look, aren't they great? They're in the Linux Foundation. Yeah, they've done awful nasty stuff. They still tax uh, Android. You know, they're, they're not a patch of niceness going on there. They're just being businessy. So I wouldn't want any any part of that because you don't know what they're going to do with it. So, yeah, I think they've been working so close together. It's almost a bit like how um, Miguel de Caz's company, um, whose name I've forgotten right now. I think it's going to be the same as them. You know, they work pally with somebody for a while, and then I'm sure there's a come to my golden yacht and let me tell you how you should join the company. It'll be great. And off they go.
2: Is your prediction mainly based on you're thinking Shuttleworth's getting bored, or is it mainly because you think uh, of this pallyness with Microsoft?
1: I think it's a mix of both. But I think think mainly it's because he had a dream, didn't come to fruition, and he's a business guy. He's going to cut his losses. I mean, he made thought... Uh, that's how he made his money that it allowed him to do canonical. So, you know, he's going to see a point and then go, yeah, I can get out now. I can make some money and maybe he'll even make a profit even after spending all the money they did over the years. I don't know. And maybe he'll, he'll just say, okay, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go live on my magnificent island somewhere.
2: Yeah, Mars might beckon or something. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you never know. Right, so what's your second prediction then?
1: Uh, right, this is crackpot material here, but I think there will be a... Social media war based on misunderstandings between, let's put in question marks, challenged leaders. And I think we're going to end up with uh, an internet outage of at least least a full day, if not more.
2: That is a brilliant prediction. I like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to, you know, just go for it, I think, at this point.
0: Well, so you think Trump and China are going to get into such a barney that it shuts the entire internet down for a day?
1: Well... (sighs) realistically somebody has been probing the web for the last few months bruce Schneier had an article about it oh, a couple of months ago where there's been a systematic series of probes to various parts of the infrastructure trying to find out where weaknesses are and i can't see you know that's not the type of thing that a like a russian mafia does or something like that they they want to make money they don't they want credit cards they want to go get them they want accounts whatever they don't want to try wipe the internet out because if they do Unless they're trying to distract people while they go in and steal the other stuff, it's, it's got to be a nation state who's going, I need to knock some stuff out here. So, you know, think of the damage you could do to stock exchanges, etc. if you were just able to play with a, con- a country's sort of reliability. So, I don't know. I think we're all going to see a few days of, of no tinternets.
0: I bloody well hope not, because what am I going to watch? I've, I've got no telly have i all, all my entertainment comes from the internet so i'll be uh just be bored yeah you
1: should use own cloud <laughs> <laughs> maybe
2: yeah suddenly having local media is going to be a real boon yeah okay fair enough right so who's going next
0: jesse what are your two predictions
2: yeah okay so uh Let's start with an Ubuntu one. It seems uh, fitting, as Phelan did.
0: My first one's Ubuntu as well. What's going on? Okay, carry on.
2: They're they're the big guys in the the Linux world, let's be honest. So I'm going to say Ubuntu in cars. Now, I haven't quite decided on whether that's the in-car entertainment system and the maps and all that, or sort of the auto-driving, which is obviously um, becoming quite big and and self-driving as a system. But I think that... With the information, you know, the noise they have from from servers and containerization with apps not being, inter, you know, uh, not meddling with each other, you can sort of silo all these things. I think it's going to be an area that Shuttleworth gets excited about and and they at least announce something in cars or someone starts using them. That's
0: pretty vague, man. Um, I use my laptop in the car. It, runs, it has <laughs> yeah, a
2: exactly. base of Kubuntu.
1: Does that count?
2: In Installed... When you buy a car, I mean, yeah, I use my phone in the car. It doesn't count as Linux, so it's not that you're going to have to like flash the uh,
0: the operating system on your existing, you know, over your existing operating system. You think it's going to you're going to buy a car that has got Ubuntu installed in it in some way or form?
2: Okay, so you clearly won't be able to buy a car in 2017 with it because the uh, cadence of car manufacturing design is longer than a year. Oh, look at you, cadence. <laughs> <laughs> okay,
1: Mark,
0: tell us how.
2: It's gonna. There's, I'm going to say, an announcement from Ubuntu or from a car manufacturer that has the word Ubuntu.
0: Well, that seems reasonable. He likes to shoot for the stars, doesn't he? Like with the uh, Ubuntu TVs and stuff that never came to pass.
2: Yeah, this is what I'm hoping. I think Ubuntu car is going to be the new Ubuntu TV.
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds reasonable that he would announce that. It definitely won't happen, or it seems very unlikely to happen, but yeah, okay, fair enough. Uh, right, so uh, what is your second one?
2: Okay, I think there'll be a new... Uh, mainline desktop environment. I This could well be a fork from an existing one, maybe a fork of Marte or something, but I think by sort of December, you know, at tail end of next year, there'll be something that got started in early spring this year, and by the tail end, it's become something that you can say in the same breath as Ubuntu. You know, there have been a, a few new ones recently, um, looking at Budgie, and and obviously Marte's got a few years of... Uh, of history if you if you ignore gnome um gnome 2 that marty's got a few years and what have you but um and the one that elementary use pantheon yeah pantheon so and i think there'll be another one that is recognized as a sort of quite a major desktop environment
0: mm, sounds reasonable i suppose
2: i'm not really sure what kind of itch it will be solving but someone's got to be itching to make a new one
0: well there'll certainly be them whether or not we'll hear about them whether or not they'll become mainstream i mean what what is your benchmark for what is mainstream there
2: yeah if i don't set a benchmark i can't fail can i
0: (laughs) okay so you're going to be vague (laughs) and try.
2: i've learned from the best joe (laughs) fair enough
0: right so my first one then is that uh, well this is a, a really really definite easy one i'm afraid this is a proper sellout one that we won't see unity 8 by default in 2017 so we won't see it in 1704 or 1710 basically uh it will be available like it is now but it won't be default so that is just a just <laughs> putting my uh flag in the ground just to say that i'm definitely going to get one right
1: no you're not it'll be there by 1710 to get it it ready for 1804
0: i'm sure it will yeah ah because well, i think that they they're going to miss well it's not in 1704 we know that much 1710 it's going to be so tight that it'll be it'll be close but I just don't think it will quite make it. And then they're not going to put it in 1804. So I reckon 1810, basically. A week before it'll be
2: ready. <laughs> see, now I'm going to be really interested in 1704. So I should remember to go get my numbers right because we're in another year. Uh, 1704, because I now want to see how far progressed Unity 8 is when they when they, they ship that as sort of a, a secondary option. And then I'll uh, be able to ridicule you when it's in at 1710.
0: Well, even in 1604, was it? Or 1610, at least, you could, uh, Unity 8 was there. You could um, yep, log yep. out and log into it. But it was it was just about functional, you know? And I just think that it's, it's not necessarily about Unity 8 being ready, but it's about the applications that run on top of that being ready and being, you know, the toolkits working with Mir and stuff like that. I just don't think that we're going to be in a position this year where it's all functioning well enough for the LTS basically because that is a big commitment to push it into that LTS if they do yet another LTS um with x then it's pretty safe they know it's going to work on loads of different hardware and so then if they push it into 18.10 then they've got all you know a year and a half to get it absolutely properly ready for I can't believe I'm going to say it 20.04 that seems a long way away but it's getting there isn't it
2: yeah, they're supposed to be programming away and making this thing happen. They're not waiting like three years for it to happen.
0: Well, I mean, I would imagine it will be default before 2004, but 2004, I think, will be the first LTS with it.
2: All oh, right. yeah. Okay, yeah, fair enough.
0: All right, so what's your second one? So my second one is, this is wildly speculative, and that is that the Raspberry Pi Foundation will uh, effectively fork LXDE and take over the development of it under the Pixel brand. So as LXDE transitions to um LXQt or LXQT and LXDE effectively dies, it won't die because they need it for the Raspberry Pi. And so all this talk of them, you see, it just suddenly dawned on me. Why do they keep talking about Pixel as a desktop environment? They can't be that ignorant that a skin on top of LXDE is a, a desktop environment. I think that they are laying the groundwork for the fact that they are going to continue the development of it once it dies. Now, this I think probably is a bit early it'll probably end up being in 2018 um but for the sake of it i'm going to speculate that it's going to happen this year
2: okay very good i mean it seems like a lot of them to take on but uh we'll have to see i guess so the final set of predictions Ikey, what you got
3: so i was just going to comment on a couple of things there um the first one (laughs) kubuntu in a car really (laughs)
2: I didn't mean Kubuntu. I'm talking about snaps and basically Ubuntu core. That's what I'm that's what I'm picturing, it's not Kubuntu.
3: If you had Kubuntu, you would get blind off of the lens flare and crash and kill everybody, right? <laughs> Let's just get that one out of the way, right? The only one who would buy that car would be JJ Abrams, right? Let's get that out of the way.
1: And he's very successful.
2: You'd have you'd have to already have like neons, you'd have neons under it to get that blue glow on the back of all the windows. <laughs> yeah.
1: Blade Runner, 2049.
3: There you go. Oh uh, yeah. Alright, now you just kinda of muted that possibility for me. Uh for the Pixel, uh I'm sorry, but it's I'm very, very, very disappointed in this project. It's being pushed by the Raspberry Pi Foundation and I, I have no polite way of saying this. It's amateur. <laughs> there is no polite way of saying this. Now the, the guy who's doing it, best will in the world to him, you know, has got good intent. He's only just started using Linux and he's forked a desktop environment for the Raspberry Pi. Seems a case of, ooh, shiny. Yeah. And I, it, it's pointless. Why would you fork LXDE when the X11 drivers are so bad when X performance is miserable on this hardware when you should be using Wayland and then you have the option to actually use sprites on the GPU and get somewhere? This just seems completely counterintuitive. They should have, they should have backed the Maynard project to be quite blunt about it. That was another desktop project associated with the Raspberry Pi Foundation. And that seems to be completely dead as well. So as far as I can see, this is the second effort at a desktop
0: by Raspberry Pi. And it's flogging a dead horse. Well, can I just stop you there? Now, I'm not saying that this is what they should do, but I'm saying it's probably what they will do. And do you disagree with that? Do you disagree that they will take it on full time? And I think they will. Yeah.
3: no, I think your prediction is spot on. Uh, I don't think they should. I think they should have gone the Wayland route. But yeah, anyway.
2: What ever happened to Maynard? Because when you were describing that, I was thinking of that that one with there's been a, a video and, and how slick it runs and what have you. And like you say, it just sort of had this video and then it died a death. Mm,
3: it just sort of disappeared into the ether. But it it had potential, and, you know, it was doing the right thing. It was using Wayland. It was using the hardware. It, it kind of needed to be Wayland for the hardware at the time, because this was before the Raspberry Pi 2. And it just seems silly to keep going with X11. I mean, I can't talk. I'm using an
0: X11 desktop. But, <laughs> you know, to play the hypocrite card here, why are they doing it? <laughs> Well, it's Simon Long, isn't it? It's the fellow who works there. I've met him. And um, bear in mind that when I went up to Raspberry Pi Towers, as they call it, in Cambridge, the offices, uh, I saw a sea of Windows machines, a couple of Macs, two Ubuntu machines, and I was introduced to Simon Long. And uh, he had two screens there, one with uh, Raspbian on it, presumably plugged into a Raspberry Pi. And the other one uh, was uh, OS X or Mac OS, which is what he actually did his development on. And he admitted that well it wasn't even admission it was he just said that he'd only been working on he'd only been using linux for a couple of years and so i think you're right Ike, that it's a very strange appointment you know he seemed like a nice enough fellow and everything he seems to know he seems to be fairly technical and everything but surely you would employ someone who's got a history of linux development to, to be the head of your uh, linux distro it just seems very strange. I mean, we we haven't talked about. I, I was tempted to put it into uh, the the news stories there about the um, the Raspberry Pi, the, sorry, the Pixel version uh, for X eighty six machines, which runs off a USB stick. Have any of you tried that
2: yet? I've seen the blog posts and things, and I just don't understand the point. So no, no. I ran something off a USB stick once. <laughs> it died.
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. I I, I spun it up, was looking to install it, and then I read more of the blog post, and it's well, it's only live. It, the persistence works pretty well, to be fair, but yeah, it it just seems to be a bit, you know, if this is people's first impression of Linux on the, on a laptop, you know, it's bad enough that um, Pixel, which looks like something from the late '90s, I always said that the the original Raspbian look like someone from the early nineties. Well now they've updated it to late nineties. <clears throat> and um if this is people's first impression on a laptop, it's it doesn't look good for Linux, does it? I mean if you compare it to basically any other Linux distro, I mean even Unity or whatever, say what you like about its usability. At least it is modern looking and and shiny and you know, Solus or KDE or whatever Chrome anything you use is better than some dodgy skin for LXDE.
3: I mean, I'm just looking through the, I don't know if you guys have actually looked through the comments section on this particular article, but um, it's just the tone and the approach just feels completely wrong to me. Um, There's one here by Simon Long. Well, I guess the two software engineers who produced the x86 pixel image could try, and by the way, software was emphasized, could try sorting out the hardware design issue you mentioned, but I'm not entirely convinced that would be the best use of our resources. There might be a bit of a learning curve, but, you know, whatever. It just <laughs> dismissive tones and I don't know. I hope to be proven wrong. With all of these things, when I speak negatively about them, it's my true impression, and I want to be proven wrong by these people. I want them to
0: show me something that's stellar and makes me rethink what I'm doing. Well, yeah, because they've sold millions of these devices. There's millions of kids out there being exposed to Linux. It should be an amazing thing. But instead, we're just sitting here moaning about how crap raspberry is
2: just just for the record uh joe mentioned a thing about usability of unity and i think unity is quite usable i didn't have a problem with user experience and i used it for what a year and a half when we did luddites
0: it was yeah, it was, it was like all that. good
2: so you know that, that's put that one to bed the fact that you were too lazy to
0: install something else speaks volumes that it kind of been that bad
2: exactly exactly until it like
0: ran out of support or something um so, right, Ike, we're supposed to give your predictions. Are you trying to uh, get out of this? Here? Yeah, I derailed from how terrible my predictions are. Uh,
3: so my first prediction is kind of lame, because it's kind of a given. But I would say that Endless OS is going to be the breakout distro 2017.
0: Right, let me just stop you there. You spoiled this for me earlier in Telegram, and so I thought hmm. I'd check it out. Um And... I went to the download page and it's like, oh, there's only torrents available. Okay, well, that's no problem. I'm used to torrents. Hang on a second. This this ISO is like 12 gigabytes. <laughs>
2: cool. <laughs> Does it come with free movies? You do endlessly wait for it. Is that what yeah,
0: it is? Yeah. I could only, I think it's because my ISP, Virgin Media, who are crap, they limit torrent traffic. Um, and I was trying to do this at like four or five in the afternoon, prime time. Um, and it just wouldn't download it was going at like one or two megabytes a second and it was just i just ran out of time but they did have a a minimal one which was like one and a half gigabytes but then you unzip it and it's bloody seven gigabytes (laughs) for their minimal ones so it's you may as well call it fucking kitchen sink linux i mean it's just got everything i watched the video and it's got Um, most of wikipedia is installed by default (laughs) so the chances of this becoming mainstream well it depends what your measure of mainstream is but not a chance man
3: well i'm gonna have to disagree there for a number of reasons they now when i say breakout distro i do not mean to break out of the distro bubble the distros are in i don't see them competing with the the large operating systems and I think we're a while off from any distro doing that, to be quite honest about you. In terms of within Linux usage, I think they're going to be the hot stuff that people talk about, Um pre- precisely because they're doing things that other Linux users like and other Linux users find interesting. Whether those things can compete at a market level is another thing entirely. Uh, as an example, one of the latest features they've worked on is you can hack on any GNOME app that you want Just by flipping that app around and having GNOME Builder there, people are losing their shit over this, and they think it's amazing. But yeah, I mean that that kind of stuff appeals to a lot of Linux users, and they think that stuff is awesome. In terms of marketplace, nobody cares. To to be quite harsh and blunt about it, in terms of like a marketing and operating system, nobody cares about that stuff. But in terms of Linux users, that stuff is completely hot. It's amazing. You know, they they've got their own fork of GNOME. You know, they've got this new setup thing uh tutorials built in apps so i think to general linux users that stuff is very very hot and will make them very popular very very quickly and they did just win a ces award i think it was for
0: usability for 2016 mm, i was going to say what kind of idiot would take gnome shell and put you know fork it into some sort of usable desktop uh, that's that's never going to work for a distro is it I feel like there's a there's a little
3: bit of a stab or, a <laughs> or
0: something. Yeah.
3: So oh, you can just sense it, can you? Yeah, I mean, it was subtle, you know. <laughs> like that time I trapped my finger in a
0: door. <laughs> um, mm. Though I never forked gnome shell, to be clear. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But um so what you're saying is it's going to be like you know at least five or six softpedia articles a day about it. That's the kind of uh, um... metric. <laughs>
3: I, I mean, it's Debian-based as well, right? Uh, it can allow you to easily install Google Chrome. Uh, codecs are automatically
0: fetched. It's internet-based. It's open source. Hang on. Codecs? It says on the website um, they've got codecs for WebM and, you know, all the free stuff. But Oh, did it not mention that? If you want um, proprietary codecs or, you know, whatever it is, like, you have to pay $5 or something for them. And I, I had a quick search for VLC, and it was Somehow not found, strangely. Yeah, their software center is very, very
3: strange, but it uses Flatpak internally. So here was one of the things I was trying to figure out. I went into the software center. I typed in Google Chrome. There it was. It installed Google Chrome. Now, I know how other projects might do it, like me, but I could not work out how they was doing this because it was using Flatpak for Google Chrome. So I thought, okay, let's dig inside Google Chrome's Flatpak here, and we'll have a look. You can't find it. So it has its own Flatpak repo, and then it has the Endless M private Flatpak repo, which you can't access on the web server to pick them apart, which I found a little bit strange. There's also an automatic service that runs in the background on Endless. I went digging because I wanted to know, how were they getting Chrome out? This is something that's very important to me. How can you distribute it properly without hacks? Which is what I'm happy to do. So I wanted to know. There is a service that runs in the background that would automatically download the Google Chrome Deb, explode it, and then remove the uh, it, the Pepper Flash and the Widevine CDM module. Basically, so you can use things like Vivaldi or Chromium. And those modules allow you to do things like watch Netflix or basically be useful as a web browser. It automatically downloads and extracts them and puts them into a directory in the background for you. There is also another service to do this with exploded codecs and it supports extra codec directories. But so much of the internals are actually hidden away on their servers. I can't figure out how it works. So I'm very, very curious and I will be going over it with a tooth comb.
2: Is this backed maybe by a company or something?
3: Uh, they are a company, yeah. Um, it basically started out with the premise that they wanted to bring computing to areas where it was unaffordable or inaccessible. So it was kind of an all-in-one computer deal, and they wanted to focus a bit on the offline usage. Yeah, that's why you got Wikipedia, haven't you? Because it's it's designed for no internet. Yeah, so like if you want to do research or you know study that kind of thing, it's kind of catering to. All. But I think they're starting to ship in the US as well now.
2: Now that you've mentioned it, I've clicked around the website a bit and there's a little logo for our computers. And as soon as I saw that sort of strange hump thing, I recognized it from a a news article last year or the year before. And uh, yeah, I recognize that endless computer. So, okay, we'll we'll have to see how this operating system goes and if everyone has the bandwidth to download it. So what's your second prediction then? Second one is a lot less jolly. (laughs) I think
3: that this year there is going to be a major Internet of Things vulnerability basically because the market is rushing to commercialize everything from the maker space so all these cool devices you've got for your smart home or connecting your devices there's going to be such a rush to this that they're going to disregard security completely and remember a couple of years back there was numerous incidents with Skype where due to some epic failure with security intimate moments may have been viewable over the internet from people's webcams and I think we're going to see something on that level or worse this year.
0: What, worse than in the major DNS provider and taking down half the internet?
3: I, well, I mean, you can do with the internet being gone, then nobody's going to be able to see your nudie pics or nudie cameras up on the internet.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's going to be the thing that's going to go down. So you and Phelium are saying that the internet is going to go down as, as a result of your predictions?
3: I'm... Kind of hoping for the end of the world here, you know. I mean, I am I can do without it ending, but if it does, I'm not going to complain.
2: Think <laughs> about how productive you'll be if the internet wasn't there.
1: I know. He, he lives in Tullamore. He doesn't have to think too
0: hard. <laughs> <laughs> I see. <laughs> um, all right, well, that's our predictions then. Um, so a bit of admin. Um, if you want to get in contact with us, there's quite a few ways you can do it. You can email show at latenightlinux.com. Or if you go to uh, latenightlinux.com slash contact, then you've got Twitter and Google Plus and Facebook groups. And um, new for this show, we've got a Telegram group as well. But we don't really want to give the link out because then you get loads of spammers. So if you contact us in some other way, we'll send you a link to that and um, you can join in. Although, Aiki, you haven't joined that one yet, have you? The public one. I should join that. You should do, really, shouldn't you? Um, And also a bit of a hangover from Linux Loddites. We've got quite a few stickers left. I tweeted about this at the weekend and put it on Google+, and quite a few people have already said they want some. So the deal is, um, oh, yeah, these stickers are, uh, what, are they two inches by two inches, five centimeters by five centimeters?
2: Oh, steady. Inch, maybe? No, I think they're five centimeters
0: by five centimeters.
2: Let me just look at my wallet where I carry one at all times, just in case (laughs) there's like a a rogue supporter who's here's my dulcet tones yeah oh also have to get a measure as well
0: i think they're two inches by two inches let's say that um roughly that anyway um and so if you ever donated or supported us financially when we were linux Luddites, then i'll send you one for free um if you want one and you've never donated before then we ask for um, a pound donation for uk and two pounds for international that covers shipping and all that kind of stuff um and if you go to com, you'll see a donate button, a PayPal button, and
2: that's the easiest way to to do that. And Joe is generous enough that if you wanted... I mean, we've got a bunch, haven't we? Yeah. We've obviously got... we've For the millions that we got printed, we only have a, a few left. But um, uh, if you want a couple, two or three... We'll chuck them in an envelope and...
0: Yeah, because the, the cost of the stickers is, is minimal, basically. I already paid for that. I paid like 15 quid for just more than we could ever use, and they've slowly disappeared. Um, but it's just the postage, really. It's it, So whether you want one or three or four, it makes no difference, really, financially. So, yeah, get in touch. Um, uh, probably best bet to email um, the old one, show at um, and say you want stickers, and I'll sort that out for you. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to talk too much about Linux Cloud Acts. This is supposed to be a whole new thing and everything, but, um, thank you to everyone who donated. Because after we recorded the last show, which was a week before Christmas, and then it came out on Boxing Day, loads of people have donated and bought merch and stuff like that. And, uh, hopefully most of those people have come over to the new show. And I hope that it's, uh, working out well. Hope you're putting up with the odd, um, swear word here and there and the odd Irish accent as well. But, uh, yeah, thank you everyone for that. And, um, Take that, Paddy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. The, the joke is that we, uh, you know, got rid of one Paddy and replaced him with two. But hey! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. So that's uh, the kind of admin stuff. And yeah, you can always, obviously, leave a comment on the website as well.
2: Okay. So in case we like had too much actual Linux talk, um, I know you and I, Joe, have had a quick look at Lineage OS. Um, so we have a little sort of round of uh, chat about phones and what have you, because. I'm not sure if uh, people are aware, and if not, CyanogenMod Engine Mod uh, has had some uh, a kerfuffle, let's say, and that's basically dead in the water, which is worrying based on how many uh, ROMs and, and people are making custom ROMs for Android base on top of CyanogenMod. Engine Mod, but ignoring that. So the guy who uh, started it, Cyanogen or whatever his name is. Steve Condick. Uh, yep, his proper name, uh, has forked it forked it or forked AOS to make uh, Lineage OS? Forked CyanogenMod It's just a straight
0: find and replace at the moment, I think. Very much in the vein of Nextcloud and OwnCloud, only a lot harder because it's not just a few PHP files that you can throw a few shell scripts at. We're talking about a lot more work for all these devices. So yeah, we have talked about that previously, haven't we, that things went wrong for CyanogenMod. It started as just him, I think, Steve Condick, on the XDA forums, and it became a really popular ROM. And he decided to try and make a few quid out of it, which is fair play to him, and formed Cyanogen Inc. And then started distributing what was effectively Cyanogen Mod and Google Apps as Cyanogen OS on the OnePlus One, which is a phone I've still got, and then tried to do a few deals with other people. There's Wiley Fox in the UK. And then they fell out with OnePlus because of a spat about India. And they have just not really succeeded, laid off most of the staff, things were looking pretty bad. Then they got rid of Condic, and he vowed to fork it, but said that he probably couldn't call it signage and mod because of um, trademark issues. That has now happened. And then a few days, I think it was between Christmas and New Year. Cyanogen Inc said that they were going to kill the the download servers and just totally kill off CyanogenMod which only gave a few days notice and then they actually pulled the plug a couple of days early after LineageOS their their website sprung up but we're still waiting for official builds aren't we on this we there are some community builds which is what you and I've been trying out Jesse but we're still waiting for the infrastructure which let's face it is quite hefty I mean IKU recently changed your infrastructure over to a beefier server and i would imagine that was a fair hassle for you know what is effectively uh, a couple of images isn't it whereas if you imagine having how many phones and tablets and everything it just must have been a nightmare and so this in the midst of that at the moment so we don't have any official images yet but lineage os it's from what i've seen these these community builds it's not finished yet is it i would like to disagree (laughs) with the couple of images
3: part all right, sorry. Um, I mean, the, the images, I mean, it's going to be the same problem for the Cyanogen guys as well, well, Lineage now. The the images are just one part of it. Those are the things you download and use. Yeah. Um, so to relate from my own experience of migrating these, the, the Solus stuff, involved in that was simple things like the mail servers, got rid of those, went for Google Apps for Enterprise, but then there was a Git server, then there's all the package servers, all of the accounts, all of the build infrastructure, the automation, um, you know, like the, the mirrors, having them so they can R-sync between each other. I mean, the easiest part of it is just setting it to serve up the images. There's everything that goes into building those in the first place. It's a, a mammoth task just for, I mean, you know, my project's a hell of a lot smaller than any Android-based project. And that took me almost two days to complete the migration.
0: Yeah, and um, you're talking about like the collaboration tools and stuff as well.
3: Yeah, like the, the things that people actually use to build it. So like, uh, you know, like uh, Git wikis in internal infrastructure sites. So if it took me two days to do something that's probably about 10% of the size, you can imagine the amount of work they've had to go through to just to pull this off.
0: Well, it's about three weeks, isn't it, by that um by those maths so and we're, we're already uh what nearly two weeks into this and we still don't have any official images yet so i get the feeling it's going to be pretty soon though
2: you'd hope so for them to sort of keep the momentum you know uh people who have have heard about Sounds mod not being updated are going to be looking for the next thing they have a massive list of phones that they're supporting i couldn't believe i thought they would come out with maybe half a dozen that they said right these are the ones we're going to start with and then we'll you know, uh, filter down to the rest of them that are less popular or have you. But they've really, really gone for it. But, I mean, partly for mine and partly for the listeners' uh, benefit, can I just get a uh, a feel from Ike and, and Phelim on your uh, sort of phone usage or your Android interests and what have you, Phelim? Oh uh, Well, I'd
1: be definitely using and Mod, so I'm kind of stuffed if this doesn't happen. Um, right now I'm using S4, My my venerable S3. Bit the dust quite literally on a holiday in Spain the first day and was a bit of a disaster. So I really hope they have something there. I mean, I don't mind paying money. I actually have often said I'd happily pay you know a yearly subscription, nothing crazy. But I don't see why there's so much duplicate of work. Um, surely there's a core that doesn't overly change, or a single team could manage. And then there's the device specific sort of stuff, but. I'd really want to have something that I can trust is going to get updates on. And that's why buying a carrier phone is just a no-go. It's just not going to happen. So I really hope they get this sorted.
0: Not to mention your hatred of Google.
1: Not to mention my hatred of Google. Yes, that's true. Um I mean, security is a big thing and, you know, it's the most sort of, intimate device you could possibly have because it's with you everywhere and it's constantly listening, technically, and it's pinging away as to where you are. So you really want that thing to be secure and updated and maintained. And the constant refresh that you have to go through is just ridiculous. You know, a new phone every 18 months is nuts. The amount of waste, both the resources and toxins that we're just dumping into the areas it's just it's pretty bad like
0: so suffice to say you are pro cyanogen mod and very much hoping that this is going to work out as am i
1: <laughs> in a roundabout way yes
0: but i you don't really use your phone do you because you're a bit of a <laughs> shut-in <laughs> <laughs> um he
1: uses cows lying down in fields as a mean of knowing what's happening <laughs>
3: in the world. uh come on now i'm gonna turn the other cheek um <laughs> so, that was awful <laughs> So, I mean, I'd like to defend my case here, but I'm not actually sure where my phone is right now. <laughs> yeah, case like, I'm the looking around for it. It's it's, it's here somewhere, but um, I've got an old HTC, which need I say more? Um, that was bought as a carrier phone because originally I had a contract phone, bought a new one to replace it, etc. But for me, the the way that Android has gone itself, like the the core Android, doesn't interest me. It just doesn't interest me because to me, like since everything went material design, I really feel like I'm being chastised by a four-year-old every time I look at one of these interfaces. Everything must be in primary colours in case I'm too simple to understand what it is required of me. So for Android, the Android updates, they don't interest me. Having something that's actually updated as an operating system and is secure, that part interests me. Then I would be more willing to actually use my phone. Right now, like when I bought my phone back when I was in the UK, a lovely network which you all know and love, uh I was with free and it's preloaded with a lot of crapware. You've got the free app you can't take off it, uh you got Facebook you can't remove it. Stuff like that irks me. So I mean if Lineage OS is gonna be the Android distribution to use, then yeah, that'll be going on. I've never flashed a phone before. So that could be interesting as well as quite fatal. So I can make that an experience for a future episode, perhaps.
2: I mean, if you want to uh, you know, talk about updates and things, which is a, a fair point, and I think um, end-of-lifing certain items in our lives, tablets and phones and Internet of Things devices, is, is something that's been mentioned a couple of times on this show already and is actually like really really at the forefront of what i think about and and what have you and it's it's annoying that things have such a short shelf life but the phone that i use in my day-to-day uh is a one plus three so that came out like what six months ago uh, i bought it maybe three months ago and i put as joe said Lineage OS doesn't have an official uh downloads yet or roms what have you but i put the the community version on to my s3 which i didn't allow to bite the dust um and I've, it like it amazes me the s3 is still um supported in all these things
0: well i think it's just because that was such a popular phone at the time wasn't it that there's a lot of developers have got them kicking around and that's why they develop for it
2: yeah yeah i agree this it's there's just loads of them isn't that um and so my the s3 with lineage is Android version 7.1.1, the latest Android, and it has the Android patch uh, the fifth of January this year. So it's obviously the latest security patch um, that comes out monthly from from Google. My OnePlus Three is Android version 6.0, and the Android patch is from November last year. So my OnePlus Three, I've done nothing with it. Has uh, Oxygen OS that it comes with. And I expect to get updates, not from the carrier, but from because it's it's on uh unlocked, it's it's just on uh gaf which is like um what's that American one that Ting. 1 800 Ting FTW. That's correct, whatever that was. So uh, yeah, so it's it's gaf and you just buy the sim and then they just give you the data. So you're not actually buying it from Orange or from O2 or anything. And so it comes straight from um OnePlus. Yeah you don't get the updates at the rate you would think they should. Whereas I put Lineage OS on a phone which is four and a half years old, and it has a much, much more up-to-date version of Android and security. And I just, it just baffles me every time this happens, because it's not the first time it's happened when reviewing something on my phone. And it's like, well, it's just exasperating. It's really annoying. Not to mention um, the fact that
0: you probably got quite a bit of bloat on Oxygen OS. Well, I don't know, maybe it's not too bad these days on, on OnePlus phones.
2: Uh, possibly. I mean, there's no installed things that I don't want. I know the problem Nike is talking about, because when I was buying carrier phones, it annoyed me so much they had these demos. Like, even if it's just a game, for example, you could play five levels, and then you couldn't play anymore without paying. All right, fine, I'll just, un- I'll just uninstall it. No, you can't uninstall this thing that is just like a dead lump on your phone. And it had all this other, like, orange... Um, Messenger and orange internet, and all this stuff that you just didn't need, and you also couldn't get rid of it. It, I agree entirely with it irked me
3: no end, it was horrible. Hmm. I mean, my phone's not even that old. I mean, I probably bought it probably about two years ago, the htc Desire 610 or 620 or something like that. And when I got it, it was the latest Android at the time, and I was told by the network there would be upgrades, you know, this would be supported. And even though the phone's starting to get on a bit now, it's still an you know, at the time, it was top-of-the-line HTC phone supported by all the carriers. It's
0: still on Android 4.4, which is probably the most vulnerable device on the planet. I mean, it's, it's funny you say it's not that old, it's only two years old. For a laptop, that would be nothing. But for a phone, that's ancient. ancient. Yeah. Which is just not right. I mean, Felin was talking about that, how, like, all the, you know, they have to mine all these, like, heavy metals and stuff and do all this environmental damage to make the batteries and that. And then two years on, you're expected to just chuck it away. It's just outrageous. So, Velociraptor time. (laughs) (laughs) Is the
3: problem the carriers, or is the problem the people? Because we have driven ourselves into this perpetual loop
0: of disposable to society. Are we the problem? Because we keep buying them. I think the problem is that when phones first came out, they were a bit shit. And then every time you got a new generation of them, every six months, they were significantly better, significantly faster, more RAM and all the rest of it. Whereas now we've got to a point where each new phone, they just throw more pixels at it. And I'm sorry, but anything more than 1080p on a screen that's like five inches-ish, 5.5, you're not going to notice the difference between a 1080p, a 2K, and a 4K. That's just ridiculous. And so they're just trying to chuck these extra specs at it. And yeah, okay, the camera gets a little bit better and the processor gets a bit faster. But I think it's just that people got into the habit of, New phones actually being much better. Whereas now, me, my OnePlus One is absolutely fine. That's a couple of years old now, more maybe. And because it was made at a time where it was already really good, yeah, a w- OnePlus 3 or OnePlus 3T would be faster and better, but it's not faster enough for me to warrant paying more. But these people who are kind of in these contracts, these two year contracts, where after you know 20 21 months you can upgrade again and then just chuck your old phone away i think it's just people got stuck in that mentality basically
2: but also i mean what phelan was saying about it going everywhere with you and tracking your location all those sorts of things your laptop gets put in a a laptop bag or a sleeve or something and it sits on your desk and it sits on your lap and it's very kind of soft and cushy and you know pampered and then you look at what you do with a phone you know I was doing DIY at the weekend and it's just like sat in this dusty dirty environment I'm expecting it to play music and you know update me on things that are going on and I pick it up with my dirty hands and I chuck it in my pocket and it just has a much more battered life and so two years for an expensive quite you know delicate piece of electronic equipment isn't a bad amount of time i'm not saying i'm not trying to justify changing every two years because i try and take quite good care of my phone so it doesn't break after two years hence why i've still got my s3 but a lot of people do end up with a phone after two years and they're like well this is a a bashed piece of crap I, i want a new one
0: well time's getting on um so i think we should probably start to wrap this up let's just say we are all hopeful for lineage os And uh, I wish them all the best. I really, really hope that it continues and does well because I have not used anything but Sound Engine Mod on any of my Android devices for as long as I can remember at this point, for at least a couple of years. So please, please, please get all the infrastructure in place and I'll donate a few quid if that's what it takes to do it. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening were in the same position as that. But I suppose with that then, we'd um, better wrap it up. Thanks um, for joining me, fellas, and thanks everyone for listening. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with episode two of Late Night Linux.
1: Cheers. Yep. See you all. Bye.